I just want to let you know that the the series that we started in the fall will continue in the fall. We just did preliminary studies concerning what faith is all about. In the winter, we are going to try to uh, to sketch that all out, fill it out as to how we live the life of faith. All right, does it actually work out in the daily experience? I think sometimes we have this this thought that uh, you know. We, we come to the Lord, we entrust ourselves to Him, and then life starts when we get to heaven. That's where eternal life is all about out there. We are thinking during this winter, these sessions in the winter, about what happens between that moment when I commit myself to Christ and then I enter into His presence at the end of my life. How do I live that? And that's what we're going to be going over. Now, tonight I'm going to start by kind of reviewing... I didn't use. I, I really don't like it. Was I, I was getting ready, I would just be real honest with you. Next week is the one I really want to get to. All right, so next week, and I, but I have to do this because next week depends on last fall studies. Now I don't know about you, but I just got students back from Christmas, and I found out that a, three weeks of break can let a few things evaporate, and. Um, I just want to make sure that we all are on the same page with respect to what we said in the fall so that we can then build on that and think about the life of faith as it develops. Because what we said, and particularly where we finished when we were finished up in at the end of November, crucial to our whole experience. If we drop that out, the rest isn't going to make a whole lot of well, it's just not going to work because you're going to have a technical problem. So we're going to think about that again tonight. So let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and ask you again to teach us by your Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, the great shepherd of the sheep. We thank you that you love your sheep. You love all of us. And you're determined that we should know the fullness of, of life in this earth. And we're coming and asking you to work in us so that we will understand your truth and be able to enter into it. So open up our minds to understand it, strengthen our hearts to embrace it, sanctify us for your own great namesake. And we come and trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the top of your page, we have the overarching verse for the entire study. The thing about the life of faith but you will note in, the, uh, in that title, the word faith doesn't come up there, right? And that's, that's for an important reason. I want to read that verse, though. I want to go back to just to, to re- refresh our minds. I have to read it because I memorized it in King James. And it's slightly different there. They have a few extra words, and I can't say it without doing it, so I'm going to read it to you. This is the New American Standard, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. The Apostle Paul, remember, this is all review today. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. If any man could have made it to heaven by doing the right thing, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He was devoted to God. He had done the memory work. He had devoted himself to trying to keep the law in every degree. And as he came to Christ, he came to this realization that everything that he had done was of no value. And it didn't count for one thing. He had the covenant. He had the the commitment. But he doesn't have life. And in order for him to experience life, this is what God had to do. I'm going to put you to death. I'm going to take you out of the picture. That's how much his life before he came to Christ counted. I have been crucified. With Christ, he says. And then he goes on to say this, And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the, the verse. And we, it's from that we take this, the life that I now live. How does he live it? He lives it by faith. And we want to, to look at that life of faith. But it's important for us to remind us of what we did say in the fall. The issue is not faith. The issue is not faith. God didn't come, the Lord didn't come that you might have faith. 
In John chapter 10, verse 10, another verse that we went over fairly carefully. It says this, that I have come. He's talking, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he's talking about people who will come to know him and will be his, right? So as he thinks about these people who will come to know him, he says this, before me, other people came and tried to do something with me. He says they came to rob and to kill and destroy. They were all interested in their own well-being. He says, I'm interested in those people. He calls them sheep. He says, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's quite some statement. When we think about faith, and we've, we've thought about this fact that faith depends on what God says, that's the Lord speaking to us. If you, He came to this earth so that you, you can put yourself in there, that you might have an experience of life, real life, abundant life. Now, we have a tendency, again, as I said, that's why we started this study, to make the biblical words into kind of, eh, we just we stuff them over here, and they don't have real meaning to us, but we just keep saying them. They're, they're nice things to say. We have life in Jesus Christ. Well, he's, he's talking about something you can actually experience. We have to be able to describe that life. Now, we have a tendency, again, to, to move that life to eternal life, and for sure he is speaking about eternal life, all right? that we are going to have eternal life. Okay, that, that's for sure. But it is also sure that he is speaking about something beyond that. The Lord had life while he lived on this earth. You see, we have a tendency to think that life can only really be experienced in its fullness when the circumstances of this earth change. It's like the picture of Isaiah when he talks about the reign of the Messiah and he says it'll be great when the reign of the Messiah comes. He says this, and every man, this is the way they pictured it in the Old Testament, and every man will sit down under his fig tree and under his vine, and nobody will make them afraid. They'll be able to live in their own property and not worry about somebody trying to steal it from them, not worry about disease, not worry about wild animals. And he pictures that as a picture of life. But as he pictures it as a picture of life, what has to happen? Something has to happen that won't happen today because there's no place in the Middle East where you can sit down and be perfectly peaceful under your vine and under your fig tree. There's just too many problems. And we could have a tendency to think that until we get to heaven where you have, you know, the harps and all that stuff out there. No, it's not true. But anyway, uh, when you have that stuff out there, then all will be peaceful because there will be nothing that opposes when Jesus came and said that you can have life and have it abundantly, he's talking, at least in part, about what happens between the time that I am converted and the time that I go to be with him. Right? That he expects that we will have an experience of life. Now, again, I'm not going to try to give full definition to that, but think about it. What would that mean to you? If you're, think about it. If, you're, if Jesus says that to you tonight, he came here and he is coming here and he's saying to us, I want you to experience life. What do you expect? And we'll say, first of all, that experience of life is something that generates from within and not because of what's without you. It has to be because there's no way that you could promise life if, you had to control your circumstances. See, if that life depends on the peace of this country, well, then I can't, I can't guarantee that, can I? If it, if it depends on my health being maintained, then I'm up a creek. If it depends on other people responding to me in a certain way, then I am in deep trouble because I can't, I can't make you like me. And I can't, you know, anybody knows me, I know I have a capacity to say the wrong thing and make people misunderstand what I was trying to say. Maybe that's the reason I don't say too much. Because, <laughs> anyway, but the point is this. I can't control all that. So whatever Jesus is speaking about it has to be something that happens, that generates from within or from my relationship with him that enables me to have life because the rest is uncontrollable. I can't wait for all that to get into place, and God doesn't ask you. And so what kind of things would be involved in this? Well, we can go back to that picture, every man under his vine and every man under his fig tree. And one of the things was to finish up with, I think I said it that far, and no one 
makes them afraid. An experience of life in which there's courage. That's what he promised. <laughs> it's got to be. It has to be a courageous kind of experience. And I'm going to start there because people will jump to the other. Uh, joy and peace. Well, those are definitely part of it. If I have joy, if I have peace, on a regular basis, then I'm experiencing life. Do you think that Jesus actually came that you might have that experience? See, the issue that we're talking about faith, faith is the means. Paul said it was by faith that I live. But the point is the, the life that he's living. He didn't die for you so that you could have faith. He died for you so that you could have life. But the means to that life is the expression of faith. So that's why we're talking about it. And that, that's, that's important for us. And again, I want you to stop and think because that's the Lord speaking to us. We've already seen a lot about how faith is generated. We listen to what, what he says, and then we're going to make a choice about it. Am I going to trust him or am I not going to trust him? Right? But, it's, but the issue is really all about that experience of life. Do you have it tonight? See, if I say, do you have faith, people look in and say, mm, yeah, I think I have faith. But if I ask a person, are you experiencing peace, joy, life? Uh, are you on top of it in life? And that's a little easier to test. It, it doesn't go into kind of those mystical realms. Am I experiencing that? I came. Isn't that tremendous? That Jesus Christ came all the way from heaven to earth so that I might experience life, so that all the sheep might experience life. And that's why I'm kind of excited about going through this stuff in the wintertime because you, it's by faith that Paul took hold of that. He intends for you to have that experience, but it's going to be lived out by faith. You're going to have to lay hold of his life as he, as he gives it. And so I want to go over, just again, review some of what we saw about the nature of faith. I know it's a review, but it's, it's so easy in this day with so many pressures and so many cultural misinterpretations of faith and belief out there. Uh, we just finished Christmas, and how many things are there about believing and believing in yourself and believing this, and you just got to believe? What is faith? Okay, first thing we said about faith is this. Faith is a response. It is not created. It is not a force. Faith is not a force. Right? It doesn't create power. Faith is a response to something else. It lays hold of something else. The value of faith in is in what it grabs and not in what it and not how hard it grabs. Does that make sense? That's so important. Yeah, we just have to believe and if we believe hard enough then it will happen. You don't create anything. God determines what it's, there's all kinds of blessing out there that God offers to people. Your faith simply grabs hold of what he is offering to you. And that's first point that has to be absolutely clear if we're going to think about it. so that faith is never it it never it's not what's here in my faith that matters it's what's out there that i'm looking at that matters it's not whether i can believe that there's life it's whether i will listen to him when he says i've come that you might have life he's speaking to me he did speak to me and now i've come that you might have life and that life might be abundant. That's why I came. Do I believe him or not believe him? So it's, he has to fulfill it, right? I don't, have to, I don't have to somehow by the force of my soul create that life. Faith does not create anything. Faith takes hold of what's going on. But the picture of that confidence comes not because I just Try to have confidence because I see that something is trustworthy. I think this is an also say so we want to walk by faith and not by sight. All right, and that conflict between faith and sight uh, can sometimes bring us to a place where we have a misconception of how the whole thing works, because that brings it's that sort of thing that leads to we don't want to live by faith or by sight we want to live by faith and so we'll take our leap in the dark all right that leap in the dark type of faith there's no leap in the dark type of faith you're a fool if you leap in the dark all right i mean it's crazy go to the edge of thing and hope something's out there the 
question about faith. You get faith by assessing whether the thing you're going to trust is worthy of your trust. Does that make sense? This is real important. Is it worthy of your trust? All right. Um, we use this illustration, we did last time, and I'll use it again. But anyway, you all came down, you sat down in the chairs, and you didn't have any problem with doing that because you've never had a chair fail you, right? If you've ever had a chair fail you, <laughs> you, you approach it differently in the future, all right? Because it just didn't work, all right? I told you, I used to mess around when we had to build the buildings. <laughs> We built these buildings back here. We were all amateurs. I want to tell you, we were real amateurs. It was go at it. Let's just go at the buildings. And you'd be surprised some of the things I had to learn by, you know, experience. That, and as I've told you many times, I grabbed a, a group of wires one day that I thought had been, I had turned them off. Somebody else turned them back on. <laughs> I just, you know, we were amateurs, you know. And I went, and the whole world lit up. I mean, the whole world. I mean, I... I wasn't the same for a few minutes. Now, by by the grace of God, I reached and I grabbed the insulation so I didn't feel any tingles. But um, I definitely had a um, bright spot in my face, you know. <laughs> I have never grabbed a wire since then with the same boldness that I grabbed that group of wires. Right? I, just, I, I, I test wires over and over again. I kill it at the pole, you know. I <laughs> said, just stop it right there. Because I've been let down by something. My my confidence is not there. Right? You sat in that chair because you're confident that it's going to hold you up. Right? You didn't just come to that confidence by osmosis or somehow that some chairs are safe. Why? You've, you've never seen the chairs fall apart, you know. They didn't fall. And so you trust it. We were talking this morning in prayer meeting, just before prayer meeting, about Roller coasters. How many people go on the roller coaster? Well, I'm not going to ask you. Right? When you get on one of those, you finally are going to get on, if you're me. I don't get on very often. Because you watch it and go, yep. It's been going for 30 days, and it kept going around and around. Every two minutes it comes back, and they do it again. So I guess it's, I guess it's safe. You don't get in on it. If that was the first time I ever saw that, you go. Because they have no confidence in it, right? Confidence is an acquired thing. You come because you know that the thing is worthy of your trust. Does that make sense? When we say you walk by faith and not by sight, sight has to do with assessing life on your own. Walking the way you see it should work out as opposed to listening to what God has to say about it. It doesn't have to do with the idea that I just trust God with no, with no reason to trust him. He said as we're going through the, the fall, we have good reason to trust him. The number one reason we have to trust Jesus Christ, and I don't want to beat this into the ground, but is this is the Christianity. This is the foundation of Christianity. He rose from the dead. And that has been testified to by hundreds of people. And 12 or let's say 11 of them, 12, Judas is not in them. 11 of them went to their death under great duress for that. That doesn't sound like they made up something. You don't get crucified upside down over a game that you were playing. You don't spend time at Patmos because you had a, a, you're lying and you want to be the head of some imaginary group. You do that because you saw something and you recognized it. Now, they had also seen his power on this earth. They had listened to his voice. They knew a whole lot more. But it's because of that that they trusted him. And I'm asked to trust him on the same basis, not on a, a blind jump into the dark, but because God came to this earth, showed us who he was, fulfilled prophecy in doing it, spoke, shouted at us that this is who I am and this is how I act, and then rose from the dead to shout to it. I am then asked to put confidence in that. Faith is a response to something that I can be confident in because it's proven. Does that make sense? It's very important. But we, our chair illustration, we said, broke down. What's the, what's the breakdown? 
in a biblical sense, faith is never exercised towards an external object. Faith is a personal interaction. Right? That's what it says next. Faith is a response to a person. Faith is a response to a person. It's what I do with regards to an individual. Faith is expressed one person to another person. That's, that's the way it's always used biblically. It does have to do with facts, but the facts are about a person. right? So we can call this, this is the faith. These are the things we believe, but all those things which are the faith are the things that we believe about Jesus Christ, who is the person. And he is the person of Christianity. He is the object of faith. Paul said that I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the person. So it's always personal. So that when you read in the word of God, I've come that you might have life, have it abundantly. That is the same person who walked on this earth speaking to your heart and telling you what he wants to do for you. And when you read that, when I read that, I respond to a person. I either trust him or I don't trust him. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's a personal interaction. Well, you, people, you don't just deal with a set of facts. There are statements of faith. This is a summation of what we believe. But you're not dealing with God on the basis that you come to a person. And that's what, what we saw Jesus had to say, that um, faith, again, remember in the book of, of John, he doesn't use the word faith. He used the word believe, which is the action of faith. And he says that he uses other terms. He said, um, <clears throat> you search the scriptures. Remember that one we were using? The search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they speak about me. He's, this is Jesus speaking. He says, they speak about me. And you won't come to me. All right? Now, you won't trust me. There's the same thing as saying believe. At the very beginning of the book of John, he says it in a different way. He says that um, he came unto his own when he came. He's describing the, the incarnation of Christ. Although he was, he was God and he becomes a man, he says, and he came unto his own. And it says this about them. You remember what the word is there? But this isn't supposed to be interactive. But anyway, we'll, we'll go for it. Uh, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't respond to him. They wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to him. But then he goes on to say, as many as did receive him, to those he gave power to become the sons of God, even to those who believed in his name. Right? To, to come to Christ, to believe in him, is to receive him. It is to interact with that person. It is to believe what that person said. Now, when the Lord came to the earth, there were two things that people would interact with him on. They would see how his power was displayed as he went out. And a lot of people responded to his display of power. And they would come to him and trust him to heal them. That was not random. I think I'll go up, like I would go up to you and say, would you heal me? Why did they go? Because they had seen it there, and they came to a conclusion that what had happened to so-and-so could happen to me. And I'm going to trust him because I've seen that he has the power to do this, and I'm going to come to him. So on the one side, they came because they saw what was going on. And there's another reason they came. They came because he sat down and, and taught them. And when he taught them, they were conscious that what he is saying has real authority. The man isn't just theoretically talking about the metaphysics and the way God is. He is talking about a person that he knows, and he is speaking about him. So it's the authority of his teaching as well as this, as, as his actions. And they came to him on that basis. They received him in one of those two reasons. They, they would receive his word, that, that's what he said, or they would receive what he had done and and come to him. You see, it's interaction with a person. You can't sit aloof from Christianity and just think about it. You can't sit at the word of, from the word of God and, and stay apart from God himself. You have to come to the person. All right? Now, I put that first, and then I came to the word, because 
Jesus doesn't walk around on this earth today in the same way that he did then. And therefore, if we're going to interact with that person, how do we interact with him? The men who heard him, the men who interacted with him, have written down what he said and how he acted, a, a description to us. And they've given it to us. We call it the Word of God. All right, the Word of God. It's the Word of God because it is the interaction of God with human beings. That's how we know him. Because he talks to us. Right? It's amazing how many people are looking for guidance. You just say, oh, I need guidance, I need guidance. And they're listening. Somebody. God's spoken. This covers just about everything. I'll just tell you that right now. About every circumstance you'll ever face, this covers. Every circumstance, not about every circumstance. Every circumstance that's important in your life, and there it is, it's covered. It's him speaking to you. See, and, and the thought goes, faith is a response to the word. Now, in that respect, what does faith do? And that's the one we have on the next, next side, okay? It says faith is active. Faith is active. I don't know if you remember this, but we said this, that in the Old Testament, the word faith is only used four times, and only twice is it definitely faith. Twice it has kind of other meanings of faithfulness, and it could mean that direction. So it's not a common word in the Old Testament, and yet the Old Testament is filled with faith. It's kind of interesting to read all the way through the book of Psalms looking for the word faith, and you don't find it there. You know, it's only once, I think, in the whole book of Psalms that the word faith comes up. And that's one of the places where probably his faithfulness is the, uh, is the better translation. And yet, all the way through the Old Testament, men are acting by faith. All right? See, so you get something like the 23rd Psalm. Everybody knows the 23rd Psalm, or most everybody knows it. Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's a man who is doing what? He's expressing faith. But he doesn't use the word faith. And all through the Psalms, the psalmist is coming to God and asking for certain things and trusting him for certain things, but he doesn't use the word faith. He acts. It's all active. Faith is an activity. Right? You call on the name of the Lord. You take refuge in him. You wait on him. You rest in him. You, again, you know that, that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. See, not leaning to your own understanding is an act of faith. In other words, you can trust him instead of leaning this way. In all your ways, acknowledge him. See, those are all statements about faith, but they don't use the word faith. But they all are activities. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do something about it. You see, faith is not something that rests in here and just sits there. If you have faith in God here, it results in activities, actions. It has to. It has to, and we, it's what we said, we, we build our lives. And that's, we said, <clears throat> faith listens to God and builds its life on what it hears. Right? It builds its life on what it hears. That's how faith actually works out. And that's, again, Picking up the Old Testament, and if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, this is a survey. I, I hate to be doing all this without turning all these passages, but we're just going back over what we were doing last fall. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you see faith described. It's the great, the gallery of the great in faith. Okay, here it is. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. He heard the word of God. I'll make you into this great nation. Follow me. Leave. And he did it. He had faith, and the faith was expressed. Abraham left by faith, and he lived in the land of promise. He never left it. God said, stay here. He stayed there. Why does he stay there? Because he trusts God. Because faith, when it is real, results in activities, actions. It builds a life around that. Later on, Moses, understanding that God said that I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and he found himself in the court of Egypt on the wrong side of that program. He was on the cursing side instead of on the blessing side, and he decided that God's word is true, and he gave it all up. By faith, Moses left 
Egypt. He let it go. You see, he believed God, but believing God doesn't mean a thing. I mean, you haven't really believed unless you start building your life around what you heard him say. That's why James can say, you show me your faith without working, and I will show you my faith by the way I work. He's not saying that faith has merit. He's simply saying this, that if you want to show me that you trust God, live it out. Live it out. Take that. That's why we're going to spend the whole winter looking at that. What does he ask us to do? How do we live it out in the various aspects of our living? What does it mean? Does that make sense? Faith is active. And the last point on that, this is where we were at the end of, we're getting towards the end of the sessions. Faith's activity ultimately is to seek after God. It's to seek God. That's what it does. When God wakens you up and you begin to live by faith, what do you do? You start to, I want to know God. Now, describing this event or this, this experience of moving from that point to, to God himself is a little tedious or a little difficult because it can happen so many ways. There is no, there's no standard, this is the way you have to be converted, right? Some, Paul was converted one way, Peter was converted another way. You know, I mean, the, the events of the actual experience of coming to God are varied. But the essence is the same. The essence is the same. When faith is beginning to be stirred, when you're dead in your trespasses and God begins to work in your life and he starts to speak to you and you start to hear his voice, faith is engendered and that starts to move you towards this conclusion that you need to know God. That's the end of that point. But it moves into the next one. It moves into that foundation for a life of faith because a funny thing happens. Now, again, all this depends on your experience and the details of your, your particular life of faith, right? how you came in. There are people who responded to the gospel the first time they heard it. Here it is. That, they're out there. They're the people who, yes, that's truth, and I'm going to go for it. And they're ready in that day, and they, they find all, So all this happens in, almost simultaneously. Then you got the poor guys like the John Wesleys. I was raised a Methodist, so I, I knew all the John Wesley stories. Poor John Wesley. Years and years. He had already determined to seek after God, but it took him a long time to get there. He had one of the most, I thought was when I was growing up, I thought this would be one of the most painful experiences you'd go through. As He was trying to figure out, because I was trying to figure out, what does this all mean? What's the truth behind it? I could read the verses, but is it true and how is it true? And he was struggling to understand how faith worked. And he had a good friend who was trying to help him to understand. He says, what should I do? Should I quit the ministry until I understand? He says, no, just keep preaching it until you figure it out. <laughs> so he did. Just kept preaching, preaching faith. And he says, I don't even understand this, but I'm preaching it. Then he had this. He was sent one day to a, I remember the story because it was on the, you know, the flannel graph type of thing there. And it, it, he was sent to a prison to to counsel with a condemned man. He sat with that man and he explained to him the way of faith. And the man took hold of it. The man took hold of it and was converted. And Wesley went out deeply distressed, not because the man had been converted, but he says, I, he got it and I didn't. And I'm telling him that. He came very slowly over this path. So some people go real quick and some people take their time. But here's the point. Somewhere along the line, as you begin to seek after God, you come to this terrible awareness that between you and the God that exists, there is an impenetrable wall. That is, there is nothing you can do to satisfy a problem that you created. The problem that you created was that you have sinned against that God. Somewhere along the line, if you've really come to him, you came into that realization that I have sinned against God and God just happens to hate sin. 
And that means that if sin causes the wrath of God, the wrath of God is towards me, and I want to get to him, and how am I going to get there? Somewhere you have to go through that experience, and somewhere you have to grasp the the horror of your dilemma. Because apart from the grace of God, you have no hope of escaping the judgment of God. Now, that could have come to you in a moment. And sometimes that comes to people, and I'd say maybe a lot of people, at the time when they're first starting to seek God, when they, they hear that first, and then they seek God because of that. And that's that's also true. But for those of us that took the long time, the slow route, the to go through and keep seeking, seeking. This has to come to us that we are wrong with regards to God. We have to come to the same place that Paul came to as we started this session. I am crucified with Christ. He's arguing there because some people thought that they could impress God with what they were doing. And uh, Paul knew that if anybody could have done it, he could have done it, but it couldn't be done. And so here's what God did. He, he summed that all up, and he, he crucified me. All right. He says, but I'm alive. I'm alive. But I'm not alive in the life that I used to have. And here's, here's what took place. I'm, I run into that place. Where I realize there is a dilemma. I can't get to God, but then I find this out. God can get to me. God can come to me, and he did. Way before I was ever born, way before Paul was ever seeking God, God took full account of who Paul was and made a provision for him. Paul can't get to God. There is nothing he can do to correct the problem of his wrong actions. There is nothing to do that nothing he can do to cleanse the guilt that is is penetrating, has penetrated him. We sometimes, as we said in the fall, we think about our guilt as being our good deeds over here and our bad deeds over here, and will they all balance out? And the only problem with that is they aren't good deeds over here and bad deeds over there because your good deeds are not your deeds and your bad deeds are your deeds and they're you. You can't pile them up over there because they are you. They are you. And you're wrong with God. So God anticipated that. And knowing all about us, this is so tremendous, Knowing all about us because he's omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end. Knowing exactly who I was. Knowing all the pride, all the foolishness in my heart. And, and anybody can you can fill in on your own blanks. Knowing what I passed by. Knowing not only what I had done, but knowing everything that was going to be wrong with my life for the entirety of the 70, almost 73 years that I've been around. He said, I'll take, I'll take guilt for that. Paul says he could live by faith because of the one who loved him and did what? Gave himself for him. And he went and he took all of that. Full knowledge of what he was doing. No surprises. I might be shocked by my sin, but God is never shocked by my sin because he knew it before I ever got into it. And in his grace, he took the full credit for it to himself and died and paid for my sin. That sin is gone. Potentially. Potentially gone. And then he comes to me and asks me to trust him to apply that to my life. That's our point of faith. He died on the cross. The resurrection tells you that he says, if we died for our sins, he was raised because of our justification. Because it was good enough for God. What he had done was good enough, and God raised him from the dead. And he's coming and he asks each one of us to entrust ourselves into his hands for salvation. Right? You are not saved by your faith. You get that clear. You are saved by the person you trust. Your faith is merely taking hold of that person and letting him do and be what he wants to do and be. And here's what he does. And this is, I want to finish here because this is foundational to everything that's ahead for us. What he does there is when you come to him, he justifies you. Justification 
um, down the, you know, here's, here's one of those spiritual words we'll throw at you, justification. Justification simply means this. He says you're not guilty. You're not guilty. Now, justification is not a pardon. You know, you could have a criminal who's in, who's in prison because of this, and the governor pardons him. Wipes it out, says he can get out. But he'll forever be whatever, if he was, say, he extorted money, and he's pardoned for that, he's still an extortion. He still did that, but nobody's going to, he's out. He's released from that. That's not justification. Justification is the judge looking at a man saying, you're not guilty. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. And when God does this work in Jesus Christ, you come to him, he not only forgives. Now, forgiveness is important, but he not only forgives, he justifies. He does something for you in giving you the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you are now a truly righteous person in his sight. And if you will come to him for that, and you entrust yourself to him, you turn from your sin, you turn to him and ask him to do this, he does it, and that is a permanent work which is established forever. Now, that's important because at the same time that that happens, you remain pretty much the same as you were before. I don't know if you remember that in conversion. We have a tendency to... to, uh, color up our conversion experience to where you, we did a whole lot better than we think we did or you know if we, if we see the real pictures oh yeah well i guess it wasn't quite that good you see when i came from from darkness to light of course yeah i have new life and i i knew that god had done something i will admit that and he had done but hey i didn't know any more scripture before i did that i mean it, it didn't infuse scripture into my mind it didn't purify my motives it didn't change me I was going to have to be changed over a period of time. It was time for me to go from the bum that I was at that point to something more than what I was at that point. All right, Growth is going to have to take place. And in that process of growth, I was going to have to have exposed to me not only the gross sins that I could see, but the subtle things that opposed God that I didn't see. And I was sharing with the the staff or the students this morning that there were some things that I thought were the good side of my life, which God had to come and say, that isn't so good. It doesn't fit with my plan, even though that's a great, this is a principle of deep honor in the United States, but for the kingdom of God, it won't work. The process of going through this is painful, and it uncovers all kinds of junk. And it's not, I have to know, if I'm going to go through that safely, that right at the very beginning, God did something for me. And so I want to say this. It is one of my favorite verses. I will quote it over and over again. But in the practical experience of the Christian life, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. I want to read this to you and get this clear. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. It's in in the middle of a long argument that the writer gives about the once-for-all nature of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He has compared the Old Testament law where you, you gave sacrifices on a repeated basis, all right, Every day of atonement, they had to go through this process and this process. And and he's comparing those Old Testament sacrifices to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the point that he makes, if you want to see this, take a highlighter, a yellow highlighter, and go through and underline every time it says once for all. And you will find out that that's the point of this passage. Okay, he's thinking about the once for all sacrifice. And here's a way that he expresses it. In verse 14, it says, For by one offering, that's the offering of Jesus Christ, he has perfected for all time those that are in the... It says those that are sanctified, but that verb is in a form which means those are in the process of being sanctified. By one sacrifice, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He did something which gave every person who comes to Christ a perfect standing. Because he says he perfected them. He perfected. In the book of Hebrews, the word perfect speaks. 
if it's speaking about a human being or a, an, a living thing, it speaks about growing into maturity, all right, so that a person is perfect when they're mature, they've grown up. When it speaks about a building, it speaks about finishing it to exactly what you want to have. I don't know if any of you ever had that privilege of, you know, you draw out, uh, you look at blueprints, and there they are, <laughs> and this is what your house is going to be. And then you go through that long process of putting all the pieces into place. And again, we're not very good at perfecting it, but we'll just say that we're going we're gonna to raise ourselves above our own levels, but we'll perfect it. We're going to finish it. There comes a point where you say, now it's done. Everything is put in place. It's all finished. It is perfect. All right? Here's what he says. One sacrifice brought you and me to a place where everything was finished. The purpose of God for my creation was complete. How about that? That's what he's saying here. So that if the day after I had been converted, the day after I had committed myself to Christ, I breathed my last breath, I never have a chance to to see anything sanctified. I never straighten anything out in my life. I never have anything purified. I never go through all that process. I never bear any fruit. I never see anybody come to Christ. None of that ever happens. I will come into the presence of God absolutely perfect, exactly where he created me to be. That is tremendous. And that's the starting point of the walk of faith. Does that make sense? If I don't get clear that I have a relationship with God, which is already established, firmly established, because I'm already right with him, then as I hit the bumps and bruises here, I might start to walk away from him and wonder, can I walk with him? He's going to rebuke me. He's going to paddle me. He's going to do all sorts of things, right? As he promises that. But it will all be done from a place where I have a settled relationship because for by one sacrifice he has perfected, not for a period, but forever. That's what for all time means. There's never going to be a time when that perfection is ever broken. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which is given on the basis of that justification. There's a whole lot of sanctifying to be done. I am not a perfect man. I wasn't that day. I'm not today. And I don't think I ever will be until we get into that situation. Here he has a chance to prove who he is by the sanctifying work. But that sanctifying work does not affect the relationship that I have, which was established because Jesus died on a cross, taking my guilt out of the picture and enabling me to come into a place where God could look at me. In fact, that's what he does do. He gives to me the righteousness that belonged to his son, the only person who ever walked on this earth and did it right. And I get credit for who he, who he is and what he did. And that perfects, that brings me to everything that God had intended me to be. And throughout eternity, I will experience the full blessing of what God has planned because of that. How about that? That's what we read in last fall. We want to remind ourselves before we move into this other part. Because it's easy for people to get to a place where they're halfway through this and they say, oh, but I'm such a wretch. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I learned that from Mr. Carroll. Whenever, you say, whenever the devil tells you that, agree. Say heartily, amen. Praise God. You know, praise God. He's, he's a savior, right? Because it's who I am. But the relationship is fixed. Justification is the foundation of the Christian life. It's put that way in Romans. It's put that way in Galatians. Once that's established, then we can start working on purifying the beast that I am in my practical experience. Then I can start to to move into a place where I can have an effect on other people which helps them to experience the grace of God. Then I can begin to come into a place where I become stable and I can hold the ground in such a way that others are stabilized in an unstable world. I can do that, but that's all after the fact. If I wobble as I learn that path, it doesn't affect my relationship with God by one sacrifice. 
be perfected, finished for all time. Those that are in the process of being purified on this earth. I wonder if you've ever come to that place where you entrusted yourself to him. To the person of Jesus Christ. Not just believe things about what he did, but you came to him. Because you're not saved by the faith that you exercise. Your faith saved by the person you come to. It wasn't the faith of the people who were healed that healed them. It was the person they trusted who had the power to heal. Have you ever come to that place, seen, seen it clearly that there's no way it's gone unless you accept the forgiveness, accept that, that justification in him? You can't please him. You're never going to do it. It's never going to happen no matter how hard you try. And all you can do is come to him and ask him to do what he came to this earth to do, to begin the process of life by setting you at peace with God, having been justified by faith. Here it is. We have what? Peace with God. Right? We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And then he's going to turn in that passage and he goes right back to it and then then I can handle the tribulation. We can exalt in the tribulation because the peace is there and the hope is out here. And so what comes in between, I can handle because of what he did. Have you ever entrusted yourself to him? It's not good enough to hear about it. I'm just going to ask you, if you haven't come to that place, if you've never done that, I ask you tonight to come to him. Put your life into his hands. Let him do for you what he wants to do in changing that life and setting you right with God and beginning to bring you into the experience of life day after day. Well, let's pray. Father, we come and ask you to work in our hearts. Father, glorify your name. Father, we thank you for your great salvation. Bring it to pass in every person here. We come and trust you for that in Jesus' name.